So our scripture today comes from Mark, um, if you want to follow along. Uh, It's Mark 7, 1 through 23. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all of the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing holding to the tradition of the elders. When they came from the marketplace, they did not eat unless they washed, and they observed many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship in vain. Their teachings are merely human values. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corbin, that is, devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can make them unclean by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that makes them unclean. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, the disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked? Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can make them unclean? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach, and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, what comes out of a person is what makes them unclean. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a person unclean. And good morning, everybody. Happy Super Bowl Day. Happy eating way too much guacamole day. I'm going to be eating chicken wings, uh, so you don't want to see me uh, tomorrow. Um, But first and foremost, we are here to worship the Lord and then a team. No, we're not going to worship a team. um, But yeah, this is a fun day. I hope you guys have plans and you're going to have uh, a good time. I want to let you know about uh, an update from Marion and Kelvin, their, uh, their baby Lucas, a family here at Current. Uh, they, um, a uh, quick recap, they uh, went into uh, delivery uh, on an emergency C-section uh, two months before the delivery date, so it was a little bit scary. Last week I reported that that surgery went well. Uh, baby and mommy are doing well. Uh, this week we saw them and uh, got a little bit of a scary text today. It started out scary. She said, um, Lucas's heart rate has been up. She, she, he's been having episodes of high heart rate. And the doctors were concerned about this until they found out that it was going hand in hand with the times he soiled his pants. And then she, she ended her text, and I quote, what a stinker. And I was like, well, she's keeping her, her sense of humor, which is good. Uh, but let's please keep praying for them. Uh, Lucas is not out of the woods. Neither is Marion, by the way. Uh, slow but steady recovery right now is the consensus, but, but we need to be praying for them. Let's pray for them if, if we can, and then we'll pray for, for our time in the, the scripture. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that uh, Marion continues to be uh, improving uh, despite her multiple surgeries. 
Uh, thank you that baby Lucas is doing well. Uh, please help him continue to uh, uh, develop well and um, be healthy. Lord, we pray for all the little ones in current right now and who are uh, about to join us, um, a few that are just uh, on the way even. Would you be with uh, mothers especially and babies, their families, protect them, bless them. And we just ask that uh, you would give us your grace as, as families and as a church family to help these little ones come to know you at an, at an early age, that they would be pillars of the faith uh, as, they, as they grow uh, and that uh, many people would uh, learn about and receive your love through them in the future. Thank you for this privilege. And Lord, as we look at your scripture now, would you give us your spirit? I, as I uh, uh, speak, and uh, we all, as we, we reflect, we, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is actually a very interesting text. It is the longest uh, time of conversation that Jesus has in the book of Mark where it's at, at odds with people. There's a bit of a disagreement. And uh, it seems no coincidence to me that Jesus' harshest words in the Bible are reserved for those religious people, for those who, the religious leaders, those who were God's representative and who should have known better. But here, what we see here is Jesus, who is otherwise kind, gentle, pretty easygoing for the most part, absolutely tearing into these guys. He's just super upset. I mean, he even quotes at one point a scripture text that no doubt they would have been very intimately aware of. He says, the prophet Isaiah was talking about you when he prophesied that you guys are hypocrites. And so we need to ask ourselves the question, why is Jesus so worked up? I mean, that's, this is not an everyday thing in the scripture. So wh what does this mean for us? Particularly as it's related to what seems like a uh, not very relevant topic, this idea of cleanliness and uncleanliness. I imagine as we're reading this text, you might be thinking, okay, how is this relevant? How is this current? Oh, but it is. And so we're going to be looking at that and understanding what this means for us today. And so specifically, we're going to be looking at three things. The text shows us, and, and these are all going to be high level. There's 23 verses. I'm sorry, we can't get into all the details. But high level, we're going to look at how we're unclean. This text shows us how we try to clean ourselves. And third, how Jesus makes us clean. So how we're unclean, how we try to make ourselves clean, and how Jesus cleans us. Uh, so number one, how we're unclean. Uh, verses 1, if I could read again a little bit here, uh, starts with the Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem, gathered around Jesus, and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding the tradition of the elders. Uh, moving on down to verse 5. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands. Now, according to the uncleanliness laws, uh, if you touched a dead animal, if you touched somebody who had an infectious disease, if you didn't bathe properly right before, uh, you were not permitted to go into the temple and worship God. Uh, it was just a part of the deal. And I think as much as this might not make sense to us on the surface, this, this is this ancient ritual, archaic practice, how does this make sense to us? I think we do understand some of what's going on here in a couple of fronts. For, for starters, uh, you know, the, the idea of health and hygiene. I mean, they didn't know back then anywhere near what we know about the world today, medical practices, infectious diseases, those sorts of things. So that was something that, you know, helped this society that would be in scary danger if they weren't thinking about these things. 
And yet, actually, in more so than that, actually the primary reason for these things is the cleanliness laws helped the people of God understand something uh, on the outside of what was happening on the inside, a spiritual reality happening on the inside. In other words, it was a visual aid. So you know how often people will kneel down uh, to pray? I feel like it's, it's similar to that. I mean, you, you do this like uncomfortable motion. Why? To express humility towards God, this inner, you know, uh, spiritual reality. Uh, that's what these guys were doing. That's what God wanted these guys to do is we need to be purified before coming before a holy God. We need to be washed. We need to be cleansed. And I think today we have cleansing rituals of our own. I mean, if you're going into an important uh, interview, you're probably going to cleanse yourself. You're probably going to bathe the night before. You're probably going to deodorize. Uh, we probably won't shave in the Silicon Valley because the hipster movement is alive and strong. Uh, I don't know if any of us have irons anymore. But the point is, we go through these cleansing rituals, do we not? And what's interesting here is to note, Jesus is not saying he disagrees with their thought of, we have to be clean before coming, before coming into the presence of God. He's not disagreeing on that front. What he is disagreeing with these Pharisees, with these teachers of the laws, is the source of our uncleanliness. Uh, let's see here. Uh, verse 14 it says again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can make them unclean by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that makes them unclean. Jesus is saying it's the natural, it's, 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 it's our natural state to be unfit coming before uh, God. I was doing some, some study uh, looking into this this week. And I came across a, a study of one of the writings of this guy named Franz uh, Kafka, this guy from uh, Germany at the turn of the 19th century, this, this sort of eccentric uh, writer. Uh, but he, he had this work called The Trial. And in it, he talks about this guy who is arrested for something he's not told what it was. And so he, you know, he's put in this little cell and he's asking everybody who will come around him, like, why am I here? What happened? What did I do? And he's never really told what the answer is. Actually, he's more often said, you got to talk to someone else. I'm just doing my thing here. I'm just doing my work. And then he's took to, taken to trial. And even there, what he finds is people aren't telling him the actual, you know, why he's there. And so the whole time, all this is playing out over, over a period of time, a duration of time, he is wondering, oh my goodness, why am I here? You know what? It has to be because I did that thing. It has to be because I did that. I mean, I, I wouldn't have thought that would bring me into a place where I'm, I, this is my punishment, but I guess, it, I guess it could. Or maybe it's because I did this other thing. He's constantly thinking about this, and actually it has a very tragic ending in that he never actually finds out why he was arrested, and he meets a tragic death in prison. Um, there are some uh, people who are looking into his writings, into his diaries, and they, they, came, uh, they, they found what many believe to be the theme of the trial. He wrote this, the state in which we find ourselves today is sinful, quite independent of guilt. In other words, what he's saying is we might not believe in sin as a society. We might not believe in judgment. But at the end of the day, all of us feel like there's something off. There's something not quite right. That we have to strive and prove our sense of worth, our value, our meaning. And if you start to extrapolate that and think about what that might mean in our society, you think about that's why we're so driven in the workplace, for instance. We think, if I can just achieve that, if I can just become this, 
I just get up one more rung in the ladder, then everything will be fine, then life will be easy, er, but then when we get there, it's actually, you know, we're still at it as ever, and if at many times, we're actually going at it even harder. Like what's behind that? Or seeking the approval of others just so desperately, some of us do, and sometimes there's collateral damage in that, in that we are seeking someone in particular's approval or a group of people's approval, and what we feel like is we have to have that, and so what we end up doing is we trample on others, we uh, abuse others, we trick them, or whatever it might be, in our pursuit of this. Uh, Kafka's point is you may believe, you may not believe in sin or judgment, but deep down we feel like there's something off, there's something affecting us, uh, others in the world around us. Uh, the Pharisees, these teachers of the laws, their premise was it's because we're unclean, and Jesus agrees with that. We're unclean. So how do we try to clean ourselves, we see uh, in verses 17 through 23. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, the disi- his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked? Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can make them unclean? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach, and then out of the body. Which, by the way, Jesus is referencing the bathroom there, in case you're wondering, uh, in the actual Greek. But in saying this, Mark says, Jesus declared all foods clean. Verse 20, he went on, what comes out of a person is what makes them unclean. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a person unclean. What Jesus is saying is you want to know what's wrong with the world. You want to know what's wrong when you turn on the television. You see what's happening on the other side of the globe, all this mess, problem. Or on the news about our own neighborhoods, Jesus is saying it's not just out there. It's just not just those guys. It's in everyone's heart. And by the way, just real quickly here, whenever there's a list like this in the New Testament, uh, so far as I've seen, the Apostle Paul writes lists like these or whatever, they're not meant to be exhaustive, but they are meant to be comprehensive. But they were always used, and I believe that's what's going on here, for us to look inward. And the reason why I'm saying that is I feel, I have one of my pet peeves or passion areas, however you want to put that, is so often there are folks in the news media, Christians, who are saying, aha, that's what's wrong with people around us. Look at this list. Pick up the picket signs, you know, poster boards and say everybody's going to hell, that sort of thing, which drives me nuts because we, you, these lists are meant to look at ourselves. Paul actually in Romans 1 writes a list like this, and the very next thought he says is, therefore don't judge others. And yet Romans 1 is one of the most, I see that verse on everybody's sign at these rallies. Therefore, don't judge others. In other words, we are supposed to look into our own hearts. And I want to say real quickly before moving on, here's what we do with lists like these, it seems to me, is we pick and choose. Oh, yeah, those, that, that one right there, that's what other people, we need to give it to them. Conservatives have their list, broadly speaking. Liberals, broadly speaking, have their list. That one, hey, but what about greed? Everybody's up talking about that one. What about greed? Oh, my goodness, greed is just driving a lot of trouble today. You just do this whole list, and we're supposed to look at it and understand it from our own heart. And what Jesus is saying is that that's the deal. We're all unclean at the heart level, and we try to cleanse ourselves. Uh, the Pharisees were doing this. We do this uh, in one way through religion. I think we figure, hey, if, I'm, if, I make, if I say my prayers, if I go to church, if I don't do those bad things over there, 
if I don't indulge in those things over there, then everything's good. I'm right before the Lord. And so we figure, okay, let's going to hardcore go after that. But then when something happens, we're a little bit, uh, something bad happens, we might be thrown into doubt, thinking, oh my goodness, what just happened? Overwhelmed with guilt. Uh, this is what the Pharisees were doing, by the way. They were saying, you guys need to do these things, and then your, your relationship will be right before God. And by the way, they were with good motivations. They had added onto God's law these traditions of the elders and said, these are to help you understand God's law. And yet in doing that, Jesus is pointing out, you're losing the whole point of it. You're making it about doing and not about the heart. And I think we see that in practice. Because when we try to clean ourselves, for instance, through religion like this, on the personal level, it imprisons us. I just got to try harder after I messed up. Or I'm overwhelmed with guilt. Or institutionally, it, it, it oppresses us. And I don't have to do a history lesson here, but it's the idea of church leaders, religious leaders, saying, like the Pharisees, oh, we just need to have more control. We just need to add more things. People just need to not do these things, and then they will obey God's word. But we've seen how that oppresses. Uh, we, try to, we try to clean ourselves through religion. Now, we try to clean ourselves through, for instance, you know, the government or whatnot. Uh, you know, oh boy, politics now. I mean, this is a depressing point to make. It doesn't matter which side of the aisle you're on right now. There, every election year, every time this comes around, candidates are making false promises or they're making really bad promises that they carry through. In either way, it's like, okay. Historically, what people groups have said is, you know what we need? We need socialism. You know what we need? communism. You know what we need? Capitalism. And I, again, I don't need to do a his, history lesson here, but each of those has had unspeakable pain and atrocities. Um, yeah, as a personal side note, I mean, a number of you know this about me. I studied politics at Cal, and it was super depressing on a lot of days, because I just, I came to the conclusion that politics is our, our solution to the world's problems. But that won't clean us. Uh, here's a really interesting I, I found. Uh, we, we try to clean ourselves through pop culture. Uh, there's this gal named Christina Kelly, the very successful uh, editor for a number of young women's uh, magazines. Uh, she wrote this, reflecting on her career. Why do we crave celebrities? Here's my theory. To be human is to feel inconsequential. So we worship celebrities and we seek to look like them. All the great things they have done we identify with in order to escape our own in inconsequential lives. But it's so dumb. With this stream of perfectly airbrushed, implanted, liposuction stars, you would have to be an absolute powerhouse of self-esteem already not to feel totally inferior before them. So we worship them because we feel inconsequential. But doing it makes us feel even worse. We make them stars, but then their fame makes us feel insignificant. I am a part of this whole process as an editor. No wonder I feel soiled at the end of the day. Uh, it's just fascinating her thinking about this. She's saying, oh my goodness, I am perpetuating the cycle. We want to feel significant, so we create these significant celebrities that we feel like, okay, let's experience significance through them, and yet that only makes us feel worse. And by the way, the whole time we know it's all a false deal anyways. She's saying we feel unclean. She's saying it's human to feel inconsequential. 
And so we cleanse ourselves. But Jesus is saying we cannot, outside in cleaning will not work. What needs to change is the heart. So how does that happen? Um, and this leads us to our final thought here, how Jesus makes us clean. There's this really interesting verse here that is, is really a, a revolutionary verse. It's a game changer. Uh, it's the part where Mark comments on the scripture. Mark is not one to do this too often. Actually, of all the other gospel writers, he does this the least. But at one point, Jesus is making this conclusion, and, and Mark says, this is what that means. At the end of verse 19, Jesus is saying, therefore, it doesn't, uh, what goes into the heart, it's not about what goes into the heart, but, uh, excuse me, I'll let me just read it here. For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach, and then out of their body, and then here's what Mark says. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. It's funny, I read this verse, and I was like, man, in the early church rejoiced, we get bacon. You know, forget kosher, we get bacon. The world was changed, and this is an awesome application of verse. Some of us are going to apply it this afternoon. Uh, but anyways, but there's something so much more profound and deep happening here uh, in this verse. In this little, what seems to be inconsequential verse, there's something so much more profound going on here. Because notice, Jesus doesn't say, and by the way, guys, the food is actually clean. What he says is, uh, he declared all foods clean. He pronounced it. Uh, in, my, in a study, I came across this late, uh, this late preacher uh, um, who uh, did a work um, before he passed away on, on the book of Zechariah, which is fascinating. It's a fascinating read. Um, Tim Keller sees this and, and points it out. Um, this guy named Ray Dillard uh, was, t was looking at Zechariah, and he saw this, he, he looked at this book and this vision that Zechariah has, one, by the way, that a lot of people don't really look at. If you're thinking, hey, how's, you know, is Zechariah even a book in the Bible? Yes, it is. It's very small. Not a lot of people preach from it. But there's this place where Zechariah, the prophet, is shown a vision of the, of the high priest in his day, a guy named Joshua. It, it starts this way. Zechariah 3, 1, it says, Then he showed me, that is, God showed me, Zechariah, Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. And what Ray Dillard points out is that this had to have been, based on context and all that we know, the moment Joshua, the high priest, entered the most holy of holies on the day of atonement, on the day of Yom Kippur, on the day that the whole people of Israel would have been in an intense anticipation. Okay, this is the day we receive by sacrifice the forgiveness of all our sins. That's how it worked. One day of the year, the high priest would go into the most inner part of the temple that was normally closed off to everybody all other days of the year. The high priest would go in on this one day and sacrifice for the sake of all the people. But before doing that, he would go into a week of preparation. He would live off in isolation. He would have only just a few helpers go out and attend to him, make sure he's eating the right food. He was reading God's word. He was cleansing. Then the night before, he stayed up the whole time praying, reading God's word. His, his friends would attend to him, but he was cleansing, cleansing, cleansing in anticipation. Then the day of, he would bathe thoroughly. He would be put, in, he would put on perfectly white linen robes, and he would go into the courts, not yet into the Holy of Holies, and he would offer a sacrifice on behalf of himself. He would do that, and then he would come back, he would wash himself thoroughly, de-robe, wash thoroughly, put on another perfect set of white linen clothes, 
go back another time, not yet to the Holy of Holies, this time sacrificing for all the other priests. Come back out, derobe, bathe himself thoroughly, put on another perfect set of robes. And all the while, by the way, all of the people, all of the public would have been watching. This is, this is our guy, cheering him on, saying, this is our guy. He had privacy, by the way, when he was bathing and all that sort of thing. But they were there watching, waiting. Here's the moment we're going to receive sacrifice, excuse me, forgiveness for our sins through the sacrifice. And then finally, the third time with probably the best of the best robes, having been cleansed all these times, all this buildup, he then goes into the most holy of holies on the day of atonement. And here's what we see, how the vision with Zechariah plays out in this moment. Now, Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. We have to imagine that Zechariah, in getting this vision and then getting this insight, after all this cleansing, God, after all of this cleansing, the high priest, no less, in this moment where he is sacrificing for the sake of all the people, wearing perfect linens, He's wearing filthy clothes. What does this mean for us? It means we can't do any of the cleansing we do. It's not work, working. And that, of course, is the point. God was saying to Zechariah, it doesn't work that way. Why? Because it's the heart. It's the heart that's unclean. You know, the Bible pulls no punches when it talks about the heart. Uh, Jeremiah 17 says this, the human heart is most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? Even the high priest's heart. But Zechariah's vision goes on. The angel, verse 4 of chapter 3, said to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, see, I've taken away your sin, and I will put rich garments on you. Verse 7, I am going to bring my servant, the branch. Of course, this servant was and is Jesus. He came to make us clean, to declare us clean. And Ray Diller's insight is, how did he do that? In the complete reversal of what Joshua the high priest had done. Joshua, Yeshua in Hebrew, Greek Jesus, a new Joshua came, and he was in preparation for a week. And then the night before, he stayed up praying, and yet his friends abandoned him. And yet, he, instead of having the people cheer for him, they were even yelling, crucify him. Uh, real interesting insight. Ray Dillard says, and his bath was their spit. And instead of going into the Holy of Holies, he was cast out to Golgotha, the place of the skulls where trash was taken to be burned. And he wasn't robed, he was stripped completely. Why? 2 Corinthians 5, 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And then 1 Corinthians 6, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. That's the gospel. The gospel is Jesus made himself unclean that we might become clean in him. And that if we receive him, receive his forgiveness that he did on the cross, what he has done on our behalf that we could never do, then we'll receive forgiveness of sins. We actually celebrate that today in taking communion 
I mean, this idea of God's blood washes us white as snow, the prophet Isaiah says. Uh, and, and we receive that. Uh, he has made the heart clean. So are you living with a particular failure in your life? You know, maybe you're overwhelmed with guilt and you're just, you're spending a lot of energy cells and emotion and time on trying to work it out and overcome it on your own. Uh, this is an invitation to cast that at Jesus' feet, to receive forgiveness. Um, obviously, he doesn't want us to keep in these doing these things that are not only harmful for us and others, but hurt him and our relationship to him, but we can cast it onto him and receive forgiveness and his love. Are you living, uh, perhaps you're not the most uh, religious, you're not immoral, but you're, you're fighting this sense of, hey, what does all this mean? What is all this for? Look, wherever we are, whatever we are doing, you know, whatever we're do, do, doing, whether it's through religion, whether it's through career, whether it's through whatever, uh, inside out doing will not work. But this is an invitation to receive the one who cleans us from the inside out, his love. And, and we reenact that, by the way, today. Or you can live that out for the first time today as we take communion. Uh, let's pray. prophet Isaiah said, come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Father, we don't deserve your kindness, your love. Uh, it's too amazing for us. Uh, but we, we know uh, deep down there's nothing we can do to cleanse ourselves. And so we're just so thankful. We're so thankful that, we, that you, you came for the purpose of making us clean. But it didn't come at no cost to you. It came at infinite cost to you. So we, we love you, Father, for dying on the cross for sin. For your body broken and your blood shed, we give you praise. And we want to continue to worship you today in taking communion uh, as we come to your table. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.